This is season seven of Sessions, an impossible comeback story. This podcast is brought to you by Hustler Casino and PokerAds.us. This year, we play the game smarter, with more patience, and we keep a close eye on those who have stood in our way, those who have infringed upon our journey. Doesn't matter how long it takes, we're going to make it across that chessboard. And when we do, we're coming for you, Nits. Every last one of you. Hey, sound guy. You care if I do a real-time update? What? Okay. So, you hear a bit of an echo in this recording, and that means I'm recording, me and sound guy are recording in my apartment in San Diego, not in my place in Long Beach, which has better acoustics for a podcast. It is Friday night, January 12th, 2024. It is 8.20 p.m. And it's just me and sound guy working, working on a Friday night. I coached my son's basketball team in a practice tonight, and then my daughter's basketball team in a practice tonight. I have not been feeling great. I have something going on, upper respiratory. And when I coach, my voice goes out often because I yell instructions the entire game and practice. Um, But one thing I've been doing this year is scrimmaging the team on the opposing half court. The, they, the the league gives you a half court to practice on. And then, so, from 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock, I coach my boys, 5th and 6th graders. And on the other half court is 3rd and 4th grade boys. And so, you're probably wondering, why the hell would you scrimmage them? Um, it's just good to scrimmage. It's just good to work on stuff, um, to kind of be able to go on the court and and instruct people, uh, spacing, switching on defense, and so on. And this third and fourth grade team is good. They have a couple ballers. Uh, Their coach is very cool. If they were older than us, we would scrimmage them as well. You just scrimmage whoever you can scrimmage against, and it's going to be always more beneficial for the younger team. But this coach is a really cool dude. He wears an aloe hat, um, and his son is very good at basketball. And my son's getting there. Um, and anyways, we scrimmage weekly, and then, and then from five to six, I coach my seventh and eighth grade girls, and we scrimmage against, I think, third and fourth grade boys as well. But we're not the best team, and it's just good for working on your offense and your passing and setting up your defense and whatnot. So why am I telling you that? Because I'm trying to get better. Um, I have a big game coming up on Monday. Uh, A Max Payne Monday with some celebrities. And after the two practices, I took my son, who's 11, and my daughter, who's 14, to pho. You know, get some chicken broth and 
you know, hopefully, you know, try and start getting better. Well, a couple boots down from us was the young coach um, of the third and fourth grade team that scrimmaged against my boys' fifth and sixth grade team. And saw them, but, you know, didn't, didn't get up to say hi or anything, just eating. And then as they were leaving, he said, hey, coach, have a good night. And I said, you too, man. I said, I said you, you got a little baller there. And his son is a baller. And I wouldn't, just, I wouldn't say that if the son wasn't good at basketball. But his son is really fucking good. And he said, oh, thank you. You too. You got two of them. My son and my daughter. Okay, and then we ate, you know, the, the three of us. Daughter, son, father, also known as Fuegos. And when we went to pay, our bill was already taken care of by that young coach. That's nice. It is a really nice gesture and also restores some faith in humanity. Not everyone sucks. Not everyone's a nit. There are good people in this world and stuff like that makes the world go round. It makes me leave a big tip for the people that are going to have to clean up and maybe they'll do something nice for someone and it's just good shit. And anyways, I wanted to share that and, and we can get into this now. Week one of 50, ER, Dadsmas, reset, back to work. Part five, the session. Everyone who's signed up for $4.22 a month or more at patreon.com slash DGAF poker player, they already got four private drops of sessions this year. Four intimate hour-long or so drops covering the story of my life. Bridging the gap between the end of last year, season six, and the beginning of this year, season seven. Those patrons know I had a pretty serious health scare. I continue to have less serious health scares. I had an interesting holidays, good moments and ugly moments, probably like all of you. And I'm as focused as ever on finally completing an impossible comeback after hitting rock bottom in 2017. But also, I want to be more patient this year, more calculated. And I've got revenge on my mind. That's going to be my fuel this year, revenge, as I am otherwise totally spent, totally burnt out after working every day on multiple projects for six years now. Okay, let's meet the cast of Max Payne Monday. Well, the first Max Payne Monday of 2024, which is what, sound guy? January 8th. Yeah? Okay. In the one seat is Crazy Drew. I played with Crazy Drew over 10 years ago at the Commerce Casino. I, I played poker sober one year. That was, that was 2012. Um, I was the best player. When I play sober, I'm really, really good. Uh, I don't think the opportunities that existed back then, well, I, I know they don't exist now. Back then, people would play with you if you're really, really good. If you're really, really good, they're not going to play with you anymore. They got smarter. 
I'm not golfing with a fucking scratch golfer and playing for money. No. I want to play against, you know, other 10 handicaps or whatever I am. But Drew and I go way back, and he would usually play 5'10", and I would play 10'20", and that was the year Garrett moved to uh, L.A., and we played once before in Arizona, and we played a bunch that year. And Drew would occasionally come up to the 1020, and I, uh, he overset me in a hand. He says he has nines. I turned a nine, made quads, and stacked him for his biggest pot ever at the time. He still remembers it beyond that. He talks about it all the time. And we reconnected all these years later. So I was sober in 2012, began spiraling hard in 2013. It took four years for me to get to rock bottom. I, kept, I actually won a ton in 2013, mostly playing heads up. Um, playing heads up, it's less important to be sober or less beneficial, I should say. Because in a full ring game, if you're sober, you can stay disciplined, you can stay patient. Uh, there's a lot more shit to keep track of in a nine-handed game. Heads up, a lot of it is confidence, um, guts, and of course, you just have to keep track of your stack and your opponent's stack, your one opponent's stack. But anyway, it's 2013, I started spiraling despite crushing in poker that year. Took four years to hit the bottom. And then I, f I just kind of, you know, I started, I tried to start making a comeback after at the bottom and I got nowhere in 2018. One thing I did was I kept my kids in their, in their house that they were used to living in and the schools they were used to going to. And that was my primary goal. And I started a podcast and then I started another podcast, this one. My first one was actually a mental health podcast called Solicited Advice Podcast. It's on, the, it's on the same feed the Patrons get. But I didn't really get anywhere on the comeback. And I was playing smaller than I ever had. I always played about 5, 10, 20 or 10, 20, 40. I'd say 10, 20, 40 as like the medium game. And I was buried in debt when I hit the bottom. And I didn't even realize I got there. Because I was always a shitty money manager. I could win in poker just no matter what was going on in my life. So I would spend all my money, always, on some good things. I gave a lot of money away. I probably gave my dad 50000 um, I helped other people. I gave a someone 10K to, to literally keep their lights on over the holidays and, and give their kids a good, good Christmas. But I also spent that money on dumb shit. Bookies. I still owe a bookie. Um, and, and, and so on. So I always just, you know, would spend all my money, borrow. If I went on a downswing, borrow more pay back, have a little, spend it. And, and then 2017 hit where I ran the worst 
I've ever run by far and the worst I'd ever seen and worse than I ever could have imagined, right? So I was spooked after this year. I didn't trust poker. Not that I thought, not that I thought there was cheating going on. I mean, I know I've been cheated several times, but I wasn't worried about that. I didn't trust that it was a skill game. When you get it in good and lose so many times in a row, especially for the huge pots, when you get one outer in a 40K pot, and that's how you've been running for months. Well, you, you, you stop trusting the game. And therefore, I didn't want to borrow any more money. I was just kind of spooked. I poker PTSD. And fuck it, I'll play some 2-5 No Limit. Never played it. Nope. I played 2-3 No Limit at the beginning of the boom. Um, and I never, you know, had any money I always won, but I never had any money to move up. I didn't really care about moving up because I could make, you know, a few hundred bucks playing two, three, and I had a job. And then I decided, no, fuck this. I'm going to actually keep my poker money separate. And it took like a week or two for me to go from having three or $500 to having 2K. And instead of going to the $5 big blind game, I just went to the $10 big blind game. Uh, I always believed in my abilities, and I crushed. And then I, you know, played bigger from there. So it was some real humble pie in 2018. I played a lot at the Venetian. I called it Red Chip Hell because I hadn't been playing with red chips in a long time, and it felt like hell. All the rules and regulations at the Venetian, they're so uptight. Some of the dealers are very slow. They do the fucking rack fills every so often. Just, it was hell for a high stakes crusher um, to sit, sit down. And, and, and what was really hell for me is I became, over time I became a shorthanded player. Heads up, I already spoke of. And I, I won most of my money playing shorthanded late at night. And so... When you're playing full ring, you have to be more patient. And then also when you're playing with red chips, you have to have it a lot more. We're just not that deep in terms of big blinds and also in terms of actual value of money. If some rich dude is sitting there, $720, and he's got an overpair, you better be able to beat that fucking overpair. If that same rich dude is sitting with $9,000, even though he's a rich dude, most people are risk averse, uh, you, can, you, can, you can get him off that overpair. You can just do it if you tell a good story. And I'm a storyteller, podcaster, and bluffer on the felt. And also, when you, know, you don't just tell stories when you're bluffing. You also tell stories when you want value, stories that, that would, might make your opponent suspicious that you're bluffing so anyways that was that was rough but you know I've been knocked down plenty of times when I was a kid so I was prepared for for this uh humble pie and trying to grind red chips nine-handed not deep didn't really get anywhere but kept my kids in their spot became a podcaster
2019, I, well, I podcasted for a few months in 2018, but I wasn't really a podcaster until 2019 when I, I just devoted a whole episode to talking about my, my daughter's third and fourth grade basketball team, our playoff run. I've always coached. She was in third grade. We were the Lakers, and we were underdogs, but we were strategic, and we were relentless and scrappy, and I just poured all of my frustration in life into this team and our playoff run, and it was awesome. And these people that are listening to a poker podcast, they heard this drop, and they said, I have no idea why. No idea why I can't get out of my car and go into work. I have to find out if you guys beat the Bulls. It's youth basketball, girls, third and fourth. I have no idea why I have to pull over and just listen to it. But someone said, this is it. It's not about the topic. It's about the passion. And since that point, that was called 40 Minutes of Hell early in. A, that's, that's what we called our defense or you know, our overall game plan. We just ran you to – it was hell for the opponents. So that was early in 2019. That's when, I, that's when I became a podcaster, even though I've been doing it for about a year. And then I documented my 2019 main event run. A bunch of people put me in. I had a little tiny piece of myself, and I played probably my best poker ever. Again, just dead sober, um, really needing the money. And I documented every day of it. I think every hand I, I played. And I never made hands. But I'm not a fool. I know I ran hot in a different way, and that's my table draws every single day. I was up against people I could bluff. And I would just fold in early position, occasionally open in late position. And most of all, I would three bet from the small blind any late open. And I was also not only in good table draws, but the people opening late never had a go hand. Sometimes they would often fold, that's printing, chips. In the World Series of Poker main event, you just have to accumulate a little bit each level, and you move on. And, of course, you have to make some hands at the right time when everyone's sick of your shit. And I made one memorable hand. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I had king-queen. And... Um, I might have binked a gutter against one pair that wasn't ready, against a pro who wasn't going to fold to me, some Euro pro. But I documented that, and people love that. I forgot how much people care about the World Series Poker main event and how much of a dream it is for many people to play it. I played my first one ever 10 years prior, in 2009. I had a fat bankroll fucking fat bankroll I almost didn't go back for day two because I only had a few chips and I didn't care I was crushing and 
you know, I could go to my box at the Venetian and there's a quarter million sitting there. I did go back and I made a run that year as well. I think I got today's six in uh, 2009 and day five in 2019, manufacturing pots. And using, I was wearing a hat, listening to music, the opposite of those of what you picture me probably if you watch me play on stream. I was playing like everyone else, like a sport. I don't believe poker works that way in cash games, but you know, that's not what we were doing. We were playing a tournament and people love that. Even longtime poker pros loved that series and that really built a following. I need a drink, I need a sip of this. This sun-kissed zero sugar orange soda. So, 2019, I became a podcaster, and then I documented that, that run. People loved it. And then 2000, but I'm still not really getting anywhere as far as climbing out of debt. But my kids are still in their spot. I'm without a residence. Okay, 2020, now, you know, just becoming more of a podcaster and, and, really, and podcasting like daily. And not only giving people a voice that's typically soothing, maybe right now it's not, um, but also I was giving myself therapy, much needed therapy, unresolved shit from childhood. I'll get it out. I still get it out all the time. It allows me to not be a self-destructive fuckface. I mean, I still do self-destructive things occasionally. It's I'm wired now. But I fade it most of the time. And, and I, I'm, you know, successful in a way. I make a lot of money. I have a lot of jobs. I entertain people. That, that never been possible without this podcast of me getting this shit out that I need to get out. Okay, and then COVID hit. So really not making, you know, playing some 510, occasional 1020, but still kind of stuck. And then 2021, more of the same until I got hired by Ryan Feldman and Nick Vertucci, the Hustler Casino Live. When I saw Ryan's tweet that he was leaving the bike and he's going to start something somewhere else, I said, you need a commentator. I'll be your guy. I said, I could be the best commentator. Everyone says that. <laughs> he was probably like, sure, buddy. But he listened to my podcast. And when he did start a new project, uh, I don't remember if he reached out to me or I reached out to him, but he's like, yeah, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's do a week. Let's do a week a month. And I was raw. I'd never done it before. I did one episode of Live at the Bike as the color guy. I joined World Bell Free. But I didn't know I didn't know anything about commentary. And I guess my, my strength, aside from being able to assess what's going on at the table very quickly and not being not being a teacher, you, you hear some people, 
You're trying to teach poker the whole time. It's tiring. It's also kind of boring. Poker doesn't grow that way, in my opinion. No, just make it entertaining. Occasionally, dig into the, the, the strategy. But focus on the characters, man. That, that's what's... That's the real shit right there with Hustle Casino Live. Anyways, the, they wanted me to be more regular. And then, they, you know, they gave me a bump on my pay. And I became a big part of that. At the same time, became a big part of the Hustler Casino. Run by Sean Yapel. I think Sean Yapel has been the biggest, most important person professionally um, on the comeback trail. And so it's a bink. It's you just spin your wheels for a few years and then you bink because you, you just were podcasting. I was podcasting to hold myself accountable to playing well in a game that seemed super small to me, 2-5. Oh, then I just became a podcaster when I started talking about my daughter's basketball. And then when I documented my, my run in 2019. Okay. And then, oh, well, look, this thing you've poured your heart into, not only do you have some income from it, but another door opened because of it. So I call this an impossible comeback because when you... You wake up at 43, 43 years old, you're a quarter million in debt. You don't even know if you want to live anymore. You're afraid of the deck. You don't think anyone's great at poker. You know it's LOL live poker, always will be, but you don't trust the deck. And, but that's all you know also is poker. Well, that's when it's impossible. And you got a huge monthly net still. You got to keep your kids in their spot. It's impossible, but you just do what you can do to stay afloat, and you just keep going, and one thing turns into something. Other things don't. The podcast did, and it opened up doors, and yeah, started to make a lot of progress in 2022, and then the whole fucking Jack Ford thing really wrecked me. Might sound pathetic. I wasn't, I wasn't really, I wasn't even there. But for a week, I got thrown under the bus. My name was trashed, and I'm an idealist, and I am against nits who are all taken, no give, and infringe upon others. I like to think that I'm selfless. That's the, that's the healthy version of self-destructive is just selfless. And to be called a cheater because I was winning a lot in juicy games. Oh, fuck, man, that really hurt. And how we got there, the people that made that possible, a couple that I considered friends, and I will never consider friends again, really fucking hurt. And... Last year was an interesting year. Gained a bunch of weight. Struggled mentally quite a bit. Well, this is 2024, Kobe year. So it's time to, uh, it's time to, you know, play like Kobe would. And that's a tangent. In season three, I call this podcast the Spew Train.
because I spew. Spew at the poker table, spew into this microphone. And if you remember, we were going through the player introductions and Crazy Drew's in the one seat and I just went back to 2012 for some reason and that's when I played with him at Commerce and I still play with him, you know, 12 years later. I'm in the two seat. Three seat Nate Hill. I've met a lot of kids, influencer types, gamer types. Um, yeah, I've played with the chess girls, Nemo and Botez, Bryce Hall, Nate and other Nate's the one that that um he just he he and I just get along really well. And even though he's gonna be my toughest opponent at this table. I'm happy to put him on my direct left because that means we get to drink together. And he's just a, he's a good dude. C4's Nikos. So when I met, and who only will play with me now. He'll play on the Tuesday nights as well, but he, he comes out to LA one, one week a month to play in the Monday and Thursday game. And then, and then he goes out with us at night. And he's very supportive. He's in the four. Shooter in the five. I don't, Shooter's a, a legend, I guess. In LA, I didn't know that. I just knew him as a nice guy. I saw the hustler. Finally got him on the show. Seat six is Sea of the Bot. No, it's not. Sea of the Bot is currently not allowed to play on the show. I'm not even going to voice my opinion on that. It's not my choice, though. This is Mia. Mia is a Chinese, young Chinese woman as well. She's going to play pretty well. Seat 7 is Big John from Palmdale. Good dude. Seat 8, Nick Vertucci, co-owner of the show. Seat 9, Randy Pitchford. Owns the Magic Castle. Runs a huge video game company. And boss. Okay. So I'm taking a sip. And look at that. 30 minutes without one hand. That's this fucking poker podcast you're listening to called Sessions. Okay, early on, just a note, Big John had pocket queens, and it came ace, queen, x, and I just knew when I looked over at him that he had, that he had pocket queens exactly on the flop. And that's me being locked in, and that's what makes me such a favorite. I'm such a hypersensitive person. I don't know. What percentage of that is genetics? What percentage of that is trauma at an early age? But I pick up on fucking everything. And at the poker table, that's useful. In a crowded restaurant, that sucks. So I like to numb myself a little bit. And when I knew exactly at Queens, I just knew I needed to numb myself a little bit. Drink my Coronas faster. I hit an ambitious combo with 97 offsuit. I called the turn with a nine-night flush draw. Three clubs out there. I also had a gutter. I was pretty sure Drew didn't have a flush or a straight, so I, I figured um, I was probably good if I hit, and I did. Nice start to the first Max Payne Monday of 2024. And I raised with Queens, and Mia went to 1,200. I didn't think she was light, and I had about 5,500. I think I'd probably just call. But Big John calls, and that makes this a shove. It's a little bit sketchy. Playing 10, 20, 40. You know, I don't love cramming in 
over 100 big blinds with queens, pre-flop against tight players. But it called for it here, I thought, and she folded. Uh, I had a weird spot with 9-7 of clubs where I called Vertucci. I overcalled, Randy called, and I called in position. I like being in position. I don't really care what my hand is too much. As long as we're deep and I'm in position. And um, it came 5-4 deuce, two hearts. I flopped absolutely nothing here. I would like a little tiny bit of equity or backdoor equity. Nick checked, Randy checked, I checked back. The turn's a five and Nick bet, and he squeezed pre-flop. I don't believe he has any fives in his range. So I'm in a tough spot. It's almost a mandatory bluff spot for me. Um, how do I want to do it? If he had an overpair, why wouldn't he bet the flop? Why would he bet now? I don't know. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bluff. Well, Randy calls, and now I fold. This is a butterfly effect because Nick had aces. And my bluff probably wasn't going to work against him. And Randy made a flush. So it's just kind of interesting. It's, Nick took a weird line. And I don't know why he would check with aces and then bet when the top card pairs. But I was going to go for it. And I didn't when Randy called. I flopped top pair in a nice bloated pot, and it's a good start. It's a, you know, first max payment of the year. We're off to a hot start. I get pocket queens again. We're deeper this time. Mia bought in for 10K. She squeezed again. I just called this time because we're getting a little bit too deep. We're getting towards 200 big blinds. I'm not cramming 200 big blinds in with queens. No, because you're just like, eh, it's, 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 it's better to call. Well, in this game, you call and two more people are going to call, and that's what happened. Shit. I got 874 flop. I just open jammed. It's a little bit sketchy. I've had queens twice. Both times it felt a little bit sketchy, but these are sketchy games I build on Hustler Casino Live. Ace queen suited. I three bet out of position. Kind of small, less than 3x. Just because the opening sizes are massive in this game, and I don't like committing my whole stack pre-flop. I'm a post-flop player. I could certainly get much, much better at pre-flop if I wanted to, but that's not where my head's at. I don't think I should get much better at poker in the games I'm in. I think it would be maybe the beginning of me being not allowed to play in those games. And, and I don't want to be much better than my opponents. I want to be better, but not much better. I want it to be fun. And, you know, I just want to make good decisions in big pots. And I think I'll win just plenty over the long run. Interesting, Shooter had been playing very tight, and he had a zero equity bluff shove into multiple opponents, and he showed it. So he's capable, Shooter is. And that, that'll come into play a little bit later. At 124.24, we're not even an hour into this show because there's a 30-minute intro. It was my worst play. If you're new to this podcast, I typically break down my worst play and my best play in whatever order they come in. Aside from that, I just kind of recap the session, give some insights that might be interesting, might not be. 124.24, Kobe, Kobe. Um... 
Nick, raised to 140, and I knew he was weak. I don't know how I knew. I just knew. Phil Helmuth calls it white magic. People make fun of it. I, I haven't. I just know. I just know things sometimes. He's weak. Randy's weak. I've been running hot. I'm on the butt with nine four offsuit. Okay, just because they're weak doesn't mean I can take this atrocious hand and play it. Or does it? It's real close. If I squeeze here, I might just take it down. I might take it down post-flop. Again, this hand's atrocious. Had I been, had I not been running hot, I would have folded it. But something that seeks, seeps into my head, and I don't love it, is the opposite of entitlement. I have entitlement like everyone else, where you expect to hold, you expect to get cards, you expect to flop a set every now and then. But I also have unentitlement, where once I'm running good, I feel like I don't deserve it. I'm just being honest. And yeah, I have self-destructive tendencies that goes with that. But also I have the reads that they're weak. Fuck it. 720 with 9-4 offsuit. Nick folds. Randy thinks it over and basically says, fuck it, call. This isn't the worst spot in the world. I'm in position against a weak hand. Yeah, my hand's terrible, but this is Nolan Holdem. 16-70 in the middle. It comes queen, 3-3, three, three, two clubs. Okay, I'm going to bet here, and I'm going to win often. Ah, profitable spot after all, maybe. I bet 520, and Randy calls before I even get the chips out of my hand. Which is funny. It also tells me he has a flush draw. I just know he has a flush draw. I played too much poker. I know it's a fucking flush draw. By the way, he calls. Queen, three, three, two clubs. Okay, so if I think of a flush draw and it turns on a club, I'm going to bet again. And if you call again and the river's not a club, I'm going to bet a third time. It's programmed. It's in me. So 520, snap calls. Oh, he's got a flush draw. Okay, so now the pot is, what, 2,700 or so. King of spades, he checks. It's about a little over half pot. Fuck it, if he calls again, we just bomb the river. He calls, quick. All right, we have $5,530 in there. The board is queen, three, three, king, two clubs. I have nine, four offsuit, like a gentleman. River's jack of hearts does not complete the flush. He checks to me. Okay, but I kind of thought on the turn he had something more than a flush working. I thought he would have to at least think before snap calling the turn if he only had a flush draw. So in, in my mind, he just could have hit a jack very easily because if he had a straight draw and a flush draw on the turn, well, he just made a pair. So I can't bet small because it's Randy. He owns the fucking Magic Castle. I bet $4,000 he calls. He has king eight of clubs. I knew what he had. I didn't know he was going to turn top pair. So really unfortunate run out for me. It looks tragic. It looks incredibly spewy. Because it is. It's kind of also how I play poker. Pretty logical. Spewy. And logical. And sometimes it looks atrocious. And yeah, 
It's my worst play because I'm not in the financial position to be spewing off like that. And admittedly, I knew something was up on the turn. I knew it was more than a flush draw, but that could have easily been what it was, the king high flush draw that just turned top pair. So perhaps a check back on the turn would have been better or just shutting it down after he calls the turn so fast. Yeah, that's my worst play. It's fine. I get pocket aces, I raise, and then Randy leads into me. I just call with players behind. Hopefully someone will get aggressive. It's pretty dry board. And then I get it in on the turn, and he has the goose, which is he doesn't know if he's going to call or fold, so he flips a coin. But before he flips the coin, we turn our hands over. And, and so he took a misblind button and said if it's, if it's the white side, it's call. If it's the black side, it's a fold. And Drew flipped the coin for him, and it was a call. And I held with aces against top pair on the turn. Okay. When I, what I do is I review my sessions, my Max Pay Monday sessions. I just go on my, my laptop, and I open it up, <coughs> and I use the right arrow to go through all my hands. The chat is usually open on my right, and I always got confused. There's several gyms in the chat, Jim OB, Jim Marshall. I couldn't remember which one was the hater, and I wrote Jim Marshall was the hater. Hating on me, it's fine. I just like to know, because when I'm in commentating, I like to know who was hating on me the night before. Is it petty? Maybe. I'm giving a lot of action pre, that's something I've decided to do. I'm going to play more than half of the hands without sounding like an incredible douchebag. Hopefully, if I played with reasonable hand selection, it would be unfair. I handicap it. I don't want to go golfing with a 20 handicap when I'm a 10 and play straight up. No, I want to give him 10 strokes and see who performs in the big spots. And that's what playing, if lifetime I have a 60% VPIP on the show. That's intentional. I know it's not. I know it's not the best way to play in a vacuum. I think it's the best way to play long term, easily, for me. Someone who's just played too much, has too many insights into things. Um, yeah. I had a good read on Nikos. I didn't go for it when he turned two pair. Got a pretty gross spot over calling Nate Squeeze with pocket sixes. It came 875, and Crazy Drew led 2,000 into about 1,800, and he had 3,000 behind. What do you do with pocket sixes? 875. He could have 910. I didn't really think that was a big part of his range. Um, you know, I, I have two of the sixes. He could have six, he could have two pair. You got a slow play, jacks. I decided I had I had to put the money in. Nate folded behind me. Drew called. He had a bad hand for my situation. Nine eight. So a six will do me no good. Um, I'm just open ended, and he has one of my nines. I only have seven outs. 
Okay, but normally you're going to have 10 outs, which is going to be pretty close to flipping against value hands. I think it's an automatic spot on stream. If, if, if the cameras aren't on, the card readers aren't on, you can do something differently, but it's just kind of a cooler. It's just, you know, you have a lot of equity with sixes against on eight, seven, five, like in general. And it's just, you know, I think the money had to go in. 12K pot, and he won it. Good for him. More butterfly effect. I had King Seven of Hearts and a bloater. And Nikos led into Mia, the preflop aggressor. Why'd you do that? She raised. King Seven's a double gutter. Not a great double gutter, but I certainly would have called one bet. I'm not calling two. The queen came on the turn. I would have won a nice pot. She had two pair on the flop. Randy turned two pair. Thank you, Nikos. 225.30. So we're about two hours into the show. Nomination for my best play. Drew raised the 220. We all called. I had 9 8 offsuit. It's a connector. It's. <coughs> this is, you know, part of the plan. Play all these hands. 4 4 3, two hearts, checks. Turns a 9. Oh, that's a nice card. I have top pair. Big John bets 440. I don't know what he has, but I don't think he has a 4. He didn't give me any sort of Hollywood job. So, I'm definitely not folding my hand. 9-8 on 4-4-3. Two hearts turn 9. He could have a draw. He could have a worse hand. Crazy Drew calls, and I know this motherfucker has a flush draw. I know he's got a flush draw. So what to do here? Just call, see a safe river? Fuck that. Jam it in there. And I did. With 9-8 in a multi-way single race pot on 4-4-3, 9, and I got called in two spots. And I was ahead. And the river fucked me. I lost to both players, but I'm not results-oriented. I got all the money in good with that jam. That's a good jam. It's a really good jam. But, you know, the dealers hate me. So I, I got felted. Off the rebound corner I go, down 4,000. Come back, and I min three bet. Crazy Drew. I kind of take the ISO thing a little too far. I like to re-raise, I like to re-raise small. And I find myself min re-raising a ton. This is not something I learned from a training site. It's not something I spent a lot of time working on myself. It just feels right. Just put a small re-raise in there. We still want to play poker, but let's clear out some of the riffraff. And let's frame the hand a little bit. Queen Jack of Clubs. Comes queen, five, three, two spades. He checks. I bet he raises. <coughs> he raises, huh? What's he raising with? What did he open and call my min three bet with that can be raising here that's better than queen jack? Ace queen, king queen, a weirdly played pocket kings, other hands. I like my hand queen jack. I'm not folding it. Now you have to ask yourself, should I be three betting the queen jack on the queen five three, two spades? I can. I got the crazy image. I could. But if he has if he has like a really bad hand, he's just gonna fold it and he might even fold something like pocket tens. Whereas if I just call, he can give me second pair, gut shot, flush draw. Okay, I'm gonna call and keep my range super wide. Just put a fucking small card out on the turn. Well, Magic said, no, fuck you. The turn's a king. 
Oh, he checks now. Okay, well, I'm pretty sure Queen Jack is good. I bet it. For value. He calls. The river is an ace. Oh, my God, man. Flop top pair. Now I got third pair. Well, when Drew checks, I think he has just about exactly two tens. I have Queen Jack. He opened a three bet min. Queen five three. He check raised. Kind of felt like to see where he was at. I called to not know, not let him know where he's at. And then in terms of king, I, I bet I couldn't bet huge because I thought he had a hand like a pair of tens. And the ace, I still bet, but I bet five hundred, which is not very big compared to the pot. But I wanted value. I got max value. He had jacks, so same thing as tens. Uh, I was blocking jacks, which is why I was thinking tens. But pretty good read on the situation. I squeezed preflop. I did this a bunch, and I lost a bunch doing it. I jack five, and Nico's called. You know, I have twelve hundred or something, and I just gave up on the on the flop. It just seemed to hit his range too well. I didn't feel like spewing anymore with no equity, and yeah, I just it just it felt like no door ever opened for me post flop. I was hoping to win it pre flop. Um, yeah, I. I do want to be a little more patient this year. I, I, I need to squeeze less. I'm just going to say it. I need to squeeze less. But it's so often the person who opens, someone opens and five people call, and the five people who called would three bet if they had something good. So if you can get past the person who opened, you just get the free money. But I mean, need to be a little more patient. Um, and the Jack-5 lawsuit maybe didn't need to make it 1,200. And then it was kind of no man's land out of position on flop slash board that hits his range so hard. Okay, I made a nice call with queen seven on king, queen, ten, three. Two diamonds. Um, yeah, three ways. I had over 70% equity. I thought I did. And there was over 3,000 in the middle. Well, the dealers hate me, as mentioned. And both players beat me on the river. And I folded. Okay. And then Nate was having a tough night. And he's been on a downswing. And it came six, what did it come? Six, four, three, and I had five, seven. Flopped the nuts. He had six, four. I just called him, I think, on the flop, and we got it on the turn, and he had a nub stack. He had a little nubber out there. I stacked him, but it was not a big pot. I mean, it's still something, but yeah. I made a good call with bottom pair against Nikos. I had six, five, and I called it on king, seven, six. I didn't believe him, and I was right. And he checked down, and I won. And I called Crazy Drew with five high, a gutter, on like ace-king deuce. I had five three offsuit. I thought he had a flush draw. The diamond came in on the turn. I folded, and he had a flush. I was right. Um, I missed a double gutter and a bloater where I had initiative. That sucks. Double gutters are fun unless you break out. Uh, flop top pair against the set, and I wrote, fuck you, magic. It's not nice. Magic, the dealer's a very nice guy. But in my notes, I wrote, fuck you, Magic. I made a thousand with aces. Crazy Drew is tilted. Things have really turned in this session for him in a negative way. He called, queen, queen, eight. I don't love it. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. He checks, I check back. Just pump the brakes a little bit. Because I added on. Fuck it. Let's add on. You know, when I'm winning a bunch, I, I'm not in like, 
I'm not as hungry, but I wasn't. When I was losing, I'm hungry. Add it on. Let's go. Um, the turn is a jack. He checks again. I bet a thousand into two thousand, and he checked min raises. Don't love this, but I got a call one time. And the river's an ace. Oh, wow. I love magic. What a great river card. And he bet 3K with 3K behind. Stack his ass. Off to rebag corner. You go, Drew. Very next hand, I have 6-4 offsuit. I bet on king, king, three. Nikos raises me. I think it's a three. I, I re-raise immediately. He shows a three. I'm home with, I three bet 6-4. King, king, three. I got a little momentum. And I ace, king, suit. Ace, king of diamonds. And I flopped into a flush draw. And Randy leads. I just call. I felt like it was like six deuce five, six deuce four. And I felt like I could get there and get all the money. My hand would look like something different. Well, the turn was a three and shooter made a straight with two fives. And he went all in for a trillion. So I just had to fold. Uh, I four bet Mia, Mia Meatball with king nine suited and she folded ace queen offsuit. Okay. But a lot of times I was putting in the few hundred people were making it, and it was getting squeezed by Nikos to a ton. So he was on one. Then Mia binked a gutter against me. I flopped top pair. She turned the gutter. I checked back, and I rivered two pair, and I just called her. I had a bad feeling, and that bad feeling was for good reason. 439.04, my best play. So 4.39.04, we are over four hours in the show. It's a five-hour show. And I got a good feel for everyone, including Shooter. Shooter's complaining, but he's also winning, which is interesting. So he's complaining about something. He's frustrated. That's information. Big John raises 300. Crazy Drew calls. I just call with Jack-10 suited. Nate Hill goes to 1,700. I'm going to be folding Jack-10 suited to this sizing. Oh, but Shooter accidentally calls. He thinks it's 700. And then he says, fuck it, okay, 17. He's in there. Big John's in there. Crazy dude folds. Well, now I'm in there in position with Jack-10 suited. This is a bloater, a four-way bloater. 7140 in the middle. Jack-7-2, two, two clubs and a spade. Stop pair, no kicker for me. They checked to me. I bet 2400 Kobe, year. I know on Jack 7 Deuce, Nate could bluff me here if we're heads up. The sizing, I don't have any two pairs in my range. And I only have sevens and deuces as sets. So it's a great bluff spot for the pre-flop squeezer. It's a great check raise all in. It'll fold out top pair like I have. But I also know Nate's handcuffed because it's not heads up. He's got to worry about Shooter and Big John behind. So he cannot bluff me here. If he puts the money in, I can comfortably fold. He begrudgingly lets go of his cards. And Shooter is thinking it over. And this seems sincere. It doesn't seem like posturing. Jack seven dudes, two clubs. I bet twenty four hundred after they checked to me into seventy one forty. Okay, he doesn't have a draw. He goes all in. Eighty 
five, 40. It's a big boy. All in, isn't it? Almost $10,000. Big John quickly folds his back to me. I say this is the toughest spot I've ever been in. That's, you know, it's an exaggeration, but it's a tough spot because this guy was folding monsters all night long. He's the most risk-averse player at the table, but he did have that one all-in bluff. No, I could eat bluff early, so he's capable of some shit. Oh, yeah, he was complaining. He was frustrated, started to say Oh, yeah, he accidentally called the 1700. He thought it was 700 then 17. Hmm. Oh, yeah, he's a tourney player. Oh, yeah, I'm me. No one ever thinks I have anything. Oh, yeah, they checked to me, and I took a stab, it looks like. I got too much equity here to fold. I think I got too much equity here to fold against the tightest player at the table by far. And he says, I'm happy with it. And he had said that earlier with the straight. This time seems different. I don't, I don't think you got it. I think you have a pair below the jack, which means you're in a lot of trouble. I put him the call. And he did. He had two eights. And I held. Remember Jim Marshall, the hater? Chat pro hater? It's fine. You can hate on me if you want. Well, not here. He's implying I was cheating. Nope. You know what I did, Jim Marshall? I made you invisible. You're a fucking ghost. Don't accuse or imply cheating. Mm-mm. Sick of that shit. I know others are too. So this guy pays five bucks a month and no one can see him. He's fighting, you know, he's snarking around the chat and no one can see it. I think it's fair. Don't accuse me of fucking cheating just because I know how to play poker. Jim Marshall. Okay. I tried to bluff Nick, but Nick flopped top pair. That was, that was costly. I didn't do well in bomb pots all night long. Did really bad in them, in fact. And I played 62% of hands. That's too much for full ring. No shit. But this is, I build the best games anywhere at these stakes. And it wouldn't be right for me to sit in them and play correctly. 24% pre-flop raise. Pretty normal for me. We had a watch party upstairs, so we moved the game upstairs. It got shorthanded. I did terrible in the bomb pots. Uh, I played a little heads up against Sandor. Did a little vlogging while I was doing that. That'll come out on DGAF's live poker show on YouTube. Overall, I won $400. Too much squeezing. I mean, I ran, it didn't, you know, a little too much. An unfortunate punt with the 9-4 offsuit early on. Did very bad in the bomb pots and the flips. It's going to happen. Um, I'm never going to be greedy, but I do need to be a little more focused on winning. On that note, here's my new goals after one last sip. <coughs> I'm reading a book called Atomic Habits. 
that suggest that goals aren't as good as changing your processes or your systems. I'm kind of bored of that, but I'm going to do both. I'm going to have goals and I'm going to make changes in my life, little tiny changes and hope um, we get to the goals that way. I want to win 60% of my sessions on stream. Why? Because at patreon.com slash DGAF poker player, as mentioned, for $4.22 a month, you get all the content. You get the whole fucking story. You get my other podcast too. You get well over a thousand hours of spew. You also get membership to Patron Discord. But then there's other tiers where you can play poker for free, sports bet for free, and you can buy pieces of me at no vig. And I want to make that a very valuable perk. And I want to win 60% of my sessions. It's a good goal. Um, that I play on stream. Well, I already played on Thirsty Thursday, and I didn't run well, and I didn't play particularly well, but I really mostly just didn't run well, and I got whacked. So I lost that one big, over 23K, and I only won 400 here, but that's one of two sessions on stream. I'm at 50%, the goal is 60%. Little things I can do, I can't, I've decided... <coughs> not going to drink hard alcohol when I'm playing on stream. I love I love sugar-free Red Bull, Kettle One, Splash of Soda, but on stream, it's just going to be beer, and if I need some energy, just a Red Bull, sugar-free. Okay, so 60%, we're one of two, we're at 50 at this point in the story. 120K debt, so it's three numbers, 61, 22, 40. 120K debt, what the fuck? Yeah, I had over a quarter million debt. I didn't really chop it down at all for several years. I started to make a lot of room, a lot of ground in 2022. I I got thrown off course with the fucking bullshit, the Jack 4 nonsense. I was tired of being staked because I always just win when I'm staked, but when you're staked, you're just giving money away and... It's okay, but also, you need, you know, the goal is to pay off debt. So then every time I went to play my own money, I get wrecked. And I invested in a heads-up match that was fucking, looking back, was a complete joke. And I lost a lot of money on that. And, um, yeah. So it's at 192, 275. Everyone that I owe, I'm in communication with. They know the story. Some of them listen to it. I pay interest when I can. Um, you know, and, and some of it is to a bookie. And bookies get paid when they get paid. But, yeah, it's, I want to get it down to 120. I can do it. I can do it by just making monthly payments no matter what's going on in my life. That's a little system change. So three numbers, 61, 22, 40. That's that 2-4 again. It's Kobe year, 240. I want to weigh less than 240 pounds. Start the year off at 258.7, the heaviest I've ever been. Not just for vanity reasons. I don't want to look fat, you know, especially on stream, 
but for actual health reasons. I want to live a long time, be a good dad to my kids, and be good to those I love, and do good things in this world. And that's just the story. It's now 9.23 p.m. on Friday, January 12th. Very special day for me. The Patrons will hear why in the next drop. And I think I'm going to produce this, have a beer, watch some hard knocks, and try and get better. Peace. Mm -hmm.